tonight, this is our final time together. Um, I think it was Friday evening. We talked about standing in the midst of suffering. And we looked at the story of Job. Yesterday, for church, we looked at the urge of a fadeless vision. And our theme text, that before you rise and stand on your feet, you have to remember when you bow down low at the man of Nazareth's feet. And Paul never lost that vision when he stood. So tonight, I want to talk to you about standing before God. Standing before God. There is a hymn in the hymnal. And in this hymn, in its chorus, it says, How shall we stand in that great day? How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him wanting, or with our sins all washed away? Standing before God. It sounds like a fearful thing sometimes. But tonight, I want to talk to you about a message that is encouraging and challenging at the same time. And so I'm just giving you an idea of the lay of the land, where we're going. So for the first half of the message, you'll be very encouraged. The second half of the message, because of how encouraged you were, you will be very challenged in the second half of the message. And so I ask that you be praying in your hearts that God will speak to you. And I also ask that you be praying for me as we, share, as we share this message together. And that God would help this to become alive for us on this Saturday evening, um, the eve of the end of our conference together. And so with that, let's pray. And we can dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, we are humbled to be here. God is here. And because God is here, we, we want the right heart. We want to have the right mind. We have the privilege of fellowshipping with him who angels get to witness. And Lord, we don't want to take this for granted. And we know when God steps into any environment, any situation, it can never remain the same. And so we pray that our bowed heads and humbled hearts would signal to heaven that we desire the Spirit of God to come down. Live within us, Lord. Speak to every mind. And we ask, Father, that this man, which is but dust in your sight, that you would use him, that you would speak to him, and you would speak through him, that we all might be blessed and changed and more like Jesus when we leave this place. This is our prayer, and we trust that you'll help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the book of Philemon. What book? Philemon only has one chapter, so I can't tell you a chapter. The book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. Standing before God. Now, we're going to go through the entire book of Philemon. Okay? Don't be alarmed. We won't be here till midnight. We're going to go through the entire book of Philemon. But what I want you to do, for those of you who are studious, my favorite kind of listeners, the ones who are taking notes, that are writing things down, I'm going to give you the structure of the message. Okay? And this is breaking down the structure of the book of Philemon. Okay, are you ready? First of all, verses 1 through 3 is the greeting and salutation. Greeting and salutation. What verses are those? 1 through 3, okay? Then, from verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 to 7 is the prayer of thanksgiving. What is it? Prayer of thanksgiving. What verses? Four to seven. All right. Now, from verses eight to 16, 
verses 8 to 16, is the petition for forgiveness. What is it? What verses? All right, now let's see if you can remember. Verses 1 to 3 is the? Verses 4 to 7 is the? Verses 8 to 16? And from verses 17 to 22 is the promise of restoration. The promise of restoration. What verses are those? Very good. And then from verses 23 to 25 is our salutation. Greets them again as he ends the letter. Now let's recap and then I'm going to preach. Verses 1 to 3 is the? Very good. Verses 4 to 7? Verses 8 to 16? Verses 17 to 22? And verses 23 to 25? Excellent. Now you'll be ready to preach when we're done the message I'm about to preach to you. Amen? All right. Greeting and salutation, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the greeting and salutation, we learn who this letter is being written to and who it's being written from. Now, who is writing the letter? Paul. Paul. Who, is, who is Paul writing to? Philemon. Who else? Aphia and Archippus and the church that is in thy house. Now, this is unique because Paul has three other letters that are written to individuals, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. But in this one, he writes to Philemon as well as Aphia, Archippus, and the church that is in thy house. So for some reason, something in this letter that Paul is writing to Philemon in particular, he seeks to impact the church community around him. So we have at least two players in our story tonight, Paul and Philemon. Now, verses 4 to 7, the prayer of thanksgiving. I thank my God, making mention of thee how often? Always in whose prayers? My prayers. Who's talking? Paul. Now, Paul is an apostle. Amen? Now, as an apostle, Paul has established many churches. Now, for Paul to say to an individual... I thank God for you. As an individual, Philemon, I thank my God for you, making mention of you always in my prayers. Now, you ask yourself a question if you want to understand the sentiment of the verse. Who do you always make mention of in your prayers? People that you love, yes? Perhaps your family. Individuals that you're very endeared to, a fellow soldier. He starts off the letter, Philemon, our dearly beloved. So you understand that when you think of what is the feeling that Paul has for Philemon, ask yourself the question, who do I always make mention of in my prayers? And then how do you feel about them? You understand how Paul feels about Philemon. This is an apostle. Now he says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, verse 5, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward how many of the saints? All of them. So here we see that Philemon is an individual that Paul thanks God for, makes mention of him always in his prayers. And then he says on top of this, I have heard of your faith and your love towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints. Now listen to this. How many Christians do you think Paul knows? A lot of Christians, yes? He's founded entire congregations in major Roman cities in Asia. And Paul says, I've heard of your faith and of your love toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. He goes on. 
verse 6, he tells us what specifically he's praying for. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of how many good things? Every good thing, which is in who? You. Who's you? Philemon in Christ Jesus. So Paul is reminding Philemon of something. He's saying, Philemon, remember, and this is what I'm praying for, that your faith would be effectual and acknowledging the fact that every good thing in you is in Christ. Are you understanding? It came to you by the grace of God that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Every good thing. How many? Every good thing. There is no good thing that dwells in you and I that has not come to us through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? To the acknowledging. There are some things we think, you know, that's just my personality. I like to reach out to people. We think, you know, um, I'm just a studious person. I, I love philosophy and grappling with things. And those things may be true. Those may be your inclinations. But every good thing in you, in me, came to us through Jesus Christ. We have to acknowledge that. And Paul says, this is what I'm praying about for you, Philemon. Verse 7, for we, he's speaking in the plural now, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints. When you see the word bowels in the King James Version, it's the same equivalent that we use for the heart. For example, right, you say you were going out and let's say you were walking on campus and actually I, I was in Guam last week and I preached a sermon and while I was talking with an adult in the back of the church a young girl about five years old came up to me gave me a hug she was like oh you know that was a good sermon that touches your heart right so in, in the King James you say that touches the bowels you, you understand but we don't use the word bowels today <laughs> for obvious reasons <laughs> that wouldn't be a compliment <laughs> So Paul says, because the hearts of the saints are refreshed by thee. Have you ever met someone in church that just refreshes you when you talk to them? Yes? You had some people like that in your life? You just sit down and talk to them and you feel like you're being energized, right? Like you plugged into a gas station. It's like you had a pit stop and after that conversation you just energized, ready to keep going for the rest of the day. And Paul says Philemon was that kind of guy in the church. When you talk to him, you don't feel tired. You notice some people, when you, you're avoiding them, right? They're coming to you, they want to talk. They're like, Lord, <laughs> I want to be a Christian in my heart. <laughs> but I'm not ready to talk right now. But there's some people, you're looking for them. Because you're like, when I talk to this person, I don't feel tired. There's some people you talk to, it's just refreshing. It's like a breath of fresh air. And Philemon was that brother for Paul. He says, for all the saints. When people see Philemon, they were refreshed by him. Now, as we close off this section of the book of Philemon, this prayer of thanksgiving, do you understand why Paul is thankful for this man? Yes? He's saying, Philemon, I'm thankful to God for a man of God like you. Refreshing the hearts of the saints. Your love, your faith, we're comforted, he says. A man who not is only refreshing to the saints, but Paul says, consolation, we're comforted in Philemon. The compassion that he has upon the brethren. I thank you for you. I, I'm thankful for you, Philemon. And now we go to the next section, which is what? Do you remember? The petition for forgiveness, verse 8 to 16. Let's go. Wherefore, now notice the word wherefore means conclusion. Based upon the things that I have just said, here's the conclusion. So based upon the fact that I'm thankful for you, Philemon, the saints are comforted by your love, comforted by your faith, that every good thing in you came through Jesus Christ, and that you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. He says, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee. That means to command you. He says, 
That which is convenient, that which is fitting, is a better translation. Verse 9, he says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now Paul says, while he is in prison in Rome, which is from where he wrote this letter. But notice, he doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Caesar. He says I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul says, while I was there, I met one of your former slaves. His name was Onesimus. And Onesimus and I had an encounter. Now, how did Paul, while he's in prison, meet a man? I don't know. But he met Onesimus. And Onesimus used to be a slave in Philemon's house. But Onesimus wasn't converted. And as a slave in the Roman Empire, it wasn't like slavery you read about, perhaps in the early British Empire, or even America. Slaves had privileges. There were different levels of slavery, responsibilities. Joseph in the Old Testament was a slave of Potiphar. But Joseph had responsibilities. He could develop, he could grow, he could study. So Onesimus, a shrewd slave, probably had responsibilities in Philemon's house. He decided, you know, one day he recognized that in the Roman Empire, you had to buy your way free. It was called manumission. And eventually you go to court and then your master would, and he would anoint you and recognize the fact that you are now free. And they said that the common Roman practice was when they actually announced the man as free from the master, the master would slap him across the head. There's been speculation that they did that to symbolize this is the last act that I can do as your master. And so <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> but Onesimus didn't want to go through the process. So Onesimus thought, you know, Philemon's out, you know, this guy's out preaching, he's an evangelist, and I'm here at home as a slave, you know, maybe I can take some of these goods, I can beat feet to Rome, there's no way he'll find me in Rome. So Onesimus, you know, breaks out, and perhaps Philemon came home and maybe his HD television was missing. All his MacBooks were gone. No Onesimus. And in those days, when your slave ran away, you hired a slave hunter. And that cost money. By the way, slaves also were very expensive. And so you hoped that a slave would earn what you paid for them in the Roman Empire. But here you have a slave who you paid for already, hoping that they would earn their keep. Not only does he steal from you, he leaves. So now your money's gone. You can't get your money back. You can't get your property back. And what you spent upon him is already poof in the air. Now Philemon's a Christian and so I imagine he didn't hire a slave hunter. He probably said, Lord, if it's your will, then so be it. But you can imagine he was hurt, right? Imagine having a housekeeper at your house and then come home and you're robbed. You'd be hurt. And the Bible says that he met Paul in Rome. And while Paul was in Rome, he says to us, he calls Onesimus my son. And he says, my son who I gave birth to while I was in my bonds. I was in prison. And he led Onesimus to the feet of Jesus. Onesimus was converted. And now Paul says, I'm writing to you about a name that Philemon probably was surprised to read in the letter. He's getting a letter from an apostle whom he respects and loves and probably found Christ through Paul. And he's thinking, man, I got a letter from the apostle Paul. While he's in prison, maybe he'll tell me how he's doing in jail because the church is praying for him. And so Onesimus opens the letter and the letter he's, I'm sorry, Philemon opens the letter and he's getting the letter and he gets down to this verse. And he says, I'm beseeching you for my son, Onesimus, who Philemon's thinking, Onesimus, your son, he was my slave. And Paul says, I'm beseeching you for my son, whom I've given birth to in my bonds. Verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee 
and to me. I preached a sermon called But Now. This is another one in the Bible. He says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now he is profitable to thee. Now follow this. Onesimus' name means profitable. You see, Paul is doing a little play on words in the Greek. Before he was not Onesimus, but now he's Onesimus. Are you understanding? What Paul is saying, you see, Philemon, when you had Onesimus, he wasn't himself. He wasn't profitable, but now that he's been converted in view of the fact that he's come to know Jesus, he's now profitable to you and to me. He's who he is. He's living up to his name. He's useful for the cause of God. A man who was not profitable, but now profitable to you and to me. Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is my own what? Bowels. Remember what we said bowels mean? He says, receive Onesimus. Yes, that is my own heart. When you think about this phrase, it only makes sense, right? Because Paul previously said, I beseech you for my son, Onesimus. Have you ever led a soul to Christ? If you've ever led a soul to Christ, then you understand the endearment you have for that individual. They are literally like your spiritual child. And you're worried that when they get released in the church, maybe the church won't treat them right. You get nervous about people coming to them about their struggles. Hey, be kind, be gentle. Why? Because if a person hurts a soul that you brought to Christ, you said, I found one of my father's lost children and I brought them back. Why are you treating them this way? That's my heart. To hurt a soul that you baptize is to hurt your own heart. And Paul says, this is my son. This is my heart, Philemon. Now before, Philemon's thinking, Onesimus was my slave. Paul is saying, that's my heart. Receive my heart, Philemon. But he keeps going in verse 13. He says, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Let me explain what he's saying here. I'm the oldest of seven children. And, you know, you can imagine food is something that is uh, scarce sometimes when you have seven kids. And kids can eat. If you have children, you know what I mean. It seems like food can't stay in the cupboards. But I remember, you know, I have uh, siblings and sometimes they want the food on your plate. And I'm, I'm kind of a very organized eater. I don't like my food to be all clumped together. I kind of, I'm a segregationalist when it comes to food, okay? Like, the green peas should not be touching the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I'm all about unity in the church, but when it comes to the food. And so, you know, one of my siblings is like, yo, are you going to eat that, Sab? That's what they call me. I'm like, um, just relax, okay? Focus on your own plate. Now, the second time, a fork enters into the realm of my plate. <laughs> catches a couple of grains, you know, of my rice. And he puts it in his mouth, and he says, hey, can I have some of your rice? <laughs> now, obviously, the rice is in your mouth. So I have to give it to you by necessity, you understand. I can't, you, you, I can't give you the rice. It's already in your mouth. Why are you asking me? Are you understanding? So Paul is saying, if I kept Onesimus with me and I said, hey, can I have Onesimus? Philemon would say, you already have him. So therefore, by necessity, I get to keep him. But Paul is saying, I sent him back to you. Because I don't want to do anything without your permission. I want you to go through the act of giving me Onesimus. So I physically sent him back with this letter. 
and hear Onesimus, a former slave who's converted, dealing with the issues that what happens when I'm converted? Do I have to go back and confront things I did when I was unconverted? And Onesimus is hopefully like, man, I'm working with the Apostle Paul. He's doing ministry. Even Paul says he's profitable. But one day Paul pulls Onesimus aside. He says, listen to me, my son. You need to go back to Philemon. And Onesimus, I can imagine, is like, you don't understand. I jacked his HDTV. I took his MacBooks. Like, I can't go back to Philemon. There's no way. And as a slave, he has every right to kill me. Paul says, Philemon, Onesimus, I'm going to write you a letter to Philemon because I know him. I'm the one that baptized him. And so I'm going to give you this letter. And I want you to bring it to Philemon. And Onesimus takes this letter. Paul writes it. And in the letter, as Philemon's coming to it, he says, look, I would have kept Onesimus with me. But without your permission, I would do nothing. I want you to see the men who wronged you. The slave who owes you much. And I want you to send him back as a free man to, to be with me. And so Paul continues on in verse 15, dealing with the petition for forgiveness. He says, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him for how long? Forever. He wasn't converted, Philemon, and for whatever reason, working in Philemon's house didn't lead Onesimus to Christ. But perhaps, Paul says, when he ran away and he came to Rome, he met me, got reborn, met the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he comes back. Maybe you're receiving him forever now. You had to lose him for a little bit of time. We're talking about broken relationships. And he says, going on, I don't want you to receive him forever. Verse 16, not now as a servant. The Greek word is doulos. Not now as a slave, but above a slave. A brother beloved. Especially to who? To me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's the petition for forgiveness. The next section is what? The promise of restoration. Verse 17. If thou count me, what's that next word? Therefore. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as my what? Self. This is getting heavy now. Beseech you for my son, Onesimus. He was not profitable, but now he's profitable. Receive him, that is my very heart. Not now as a slave, but as above a slave, a brother beloved, especially to me. How much more to you? Maybe he departed for a season that you might receive him forever. How? It's a brother beloved. And if you count me a partner, receive him as me. How in the world would Philemon receive Paul? You want me to receive my slave, Onesimus, as if Paul was coming? But he keeps going and he says, if, verse 18, here we go with the promise. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee anything, put that on where? My account. Paul says, charge it to me. Put it on my tab. And then he says, in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will, what? Repay it. There's the promise. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. I'm not even going to bring that up. But you just brought it up. <laughs> Paul is a very shrewd man. 
I'm not even going to bring up how you, owe me, how you owe me your own life. <laughs> Somebody says that to you. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring up how I gave you a ride to SWIC. <laughs> you just brought it up. <laughs> he says, yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. How would Philemon refresh Paul's heart? By receiving what? Onesimus. One more verse. He says, having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou will do also more than I say. You're already asking a lot, amen? <laughs> you want me to receive him as yourself? And Paul says, you know, I'm confident in your obedience. And I know, Philemon, I know you because I heard about your love and your faith. The saints have been comforted by your love and your faith. And I know you, Philemon, you'll do more than I even ask for your slave Onesimus, but withal, prepare me also a lodging. <laughs> the word also. <laughs> you want Onesimus to stay in your house? He's like, in my lodging? For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. This story is not about Onesimus. It's about us. You see, Paul acting the part of Jesus for the repentant sinner. And when you come to recognize the law of God, that you've wronged God, do you know when you break the Ten Commandments and I break the Ten Commandments, we become criminals in the universe? You are a criminal. And when you break the law and you are a criminal and you recognize that the person whose law you broke was your own father. And not only did you break his law, you wronged him. Not only did you wrong him, you took some things that belonged to him with you. You owe him some things. But then somewhere along the way you met Jesus and there's Philemon, the picture of the father. And in a prayer of thanksgiving, I've heard of your love toward all the saints. I thank God for you. And you see Jesus in Paul saying, Sebastian, you need to go back to God. You need to go back to your father who did nothing to you to deserve what you did. But I'm going to write a letter for you, Sebastian. And I want you to take this letter back to your father. Then Jesus hands me the letter. And I start making my way to the throne. But I get to look at the letter before I get there. And in the letter, Jesus says, Sebastian, this is what I'm saying to Philemon, to the father. Father, I'm beseeching you for my son, Sebastian, whom I have begotten in my bonds. But you know what, father? In time past, he was unprofitable. But now, he's profitable. He wasn't really Sebastian, Lord. And then, Lord, I'm telling you right now that I'm sending him again in person. And I'm asking that you would receive Sebastian. That is my own heart. If you reject Sebastian, you're rejecting me. And then when Sebastian comes, I would have kept him to use him, but I didn't want to do anything without your permission. I wanted you to do it yourself. So I'm sending Sebastian with this letter, and perhaps he departed for a season so that you could receive him forever. Not now as a slave, but above a slave, a brother beloved to me, Jesus says. 
how much more? To you. In the flesh and in the Lord. Father, if you count me, therefore, a partner, receive Sebastian as myself. How does the Father receive Jesus? When you read Psalm 24, Ellen White uses this passage to talk about when Jesus was going back to heaven. And Jesus, even on earth, would let no one touch him. He came out of the grave. God says, my son is alive. The angel said, Jesus is alive, but he's got to go back. And there was Mary. She wanted to give Jesus a hug. No, Jesus said, touch me not. I have not yet ascended where? To my father. Then the angels came to take him back to heaven. And as he's going back to heaven, Ellen White says, as they were approaching the gates of glory, all of a sudden you heard, lift up, O you gates. Open up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And the angels at the gate said, who is the king of glory? And she says, they did not ask because they did not know. They asked because they just wanted to hear his name. Open up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And in Jesus' feet touched streets of gold again. The angels remember when he walked out of those gates. Never to see him again. The father remembers an empty throne. And when he landed, the angels, I'm sure, when I grew up, seven kids, when daddy comes home, everybody runs to the door. Daddy! I imagine when Jesus got back to heaven, there was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands running to the gates. And they came to give him a hug, and Jesus says, wait, I need to go see my father. And there Jesus walked and approached that light unapproachable. And when he got close to the throne, he lifted up his hands. He says, father, it's finished. And there the father sat on his throne. Hadn't seen his son in 30 years. What do you think God's going to do when he receives Jesus? He's going to give him a hug. My son is home. And Jesus says, Father, when Sebastian comes, I want you to receive him as myself. Here's the letter. He was unprofitable, but now he's profitable. And you know, Father, if Sebastian has wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. And I promise you, I, Jesus, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. The story of Onesimus is your story and mine. Going back to the Father with a word from Jesus. And then he goes on and says, listen, let me have joy of you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. And then on top of that, he says, Father, I was confident in your obedience. I was confident you will do what I ask, but no, no, no. When Sebastian comes, you'll do even more than what I say. Because God is able, the Bible says, to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. You come to God and say, Lord, I just want to be a servant in your house. Lord, you know, I, it would be great if you could just forgive me this one time. But the Bible says you don't know your father. He will do exceedingly, abundantly above all you ever ask or think. You just want to be a slave. And sometimes we know we've been in sin. We know we've wronged God. We know we've been off. And you come back like the prodigal son. 
clothes tattered, no shoes on your feet, emaciated from spiritual malnourishment. And as you're coming back, she says the father was waiting at the edge of his property. And when his son started coming down the road, no shoes, clothes tattered, emaciated from lacking food, he said, I still recognize that's my son. And he started running towards his son. We come back to God with our little speech, Lord, I'll just be a servant in your house. And the father says, I don't want to hear your speech. You're my son. Amen. And then we come to God and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. And the father looks at you and I, he says, you are never worthy. You are never worthy to be my son. There's only one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. So when I come back to the Father, I don't come with my speech. I come with Jesus' word. And Ellen White says, to those who are engaged in missionary work, I would say, hide in Jesus. And when the work goes hard and you get discouraged, she says, take your Bible. Get down on your knees and say, here, Lord, thy word is pledged. Throw all your weight upon his promises, and every one of them will be fulfilled. Amen. When the work goes hard, when you find yourself discouraged, you get up and say, Jesus wrote a letter, Lord. He wrote a letter. And you and I recognize in this passage the amazing love of God. He receives us as he receives Jesus. When you come to your father, he looks and he says, Sebastian, when you were baptized 2002, I hadn't seen my son in 21 years. That's what God was thinking. And when I came to God, which really he brought me to himself, <laughs> What do you think he's going to do when his son comes home? He's going to hug him. And when I get to heaven, just like Jesus, before I do anything else, I'm running and I'm looking for my father. And I just want to give him a hug. And look God in the face and say, I'm home forever not going anywhere that's the encouragement but then the question becomes sometimes <laughs> this letter isn't to the father it's to Christians sometimes Philemon is you and me and Jesus says, there's an Onesimus in your life. And I'm writing to you for my son. I'm writing to you for my heart. I'm writing to you to receive this person as myself. And Jesus says, I was confident that you would do more even then I ask. We all have experienced broken relationships. You see, this message becomes challenging because of how encouraging it is. How can we receive this kind of love And then turn around and withhold it from our brother. And we'll come to God and say, Lord, you don't understand. Onesimus has wronged me. You see, the first, the, the thing about this, this, this story. I read it with 
just extreme joy and fear. Because I remember when I was converted. Immediately, I was confronted with the fact that my first stepfather had abused some of my brothers and sisters. He was in jail at the time. And the question is, Sebastian, when you read this passage, can you forgive him? Can you receive him as myself? You see, brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, we can stand before God in confidence. I can look God in the eye and know that all is well, that I have peace with my heavenly Father. There's nothing between, the song says, my soul and the Savior. But the problem is, if people cannot stand before us forgiven, we lose our forgiveness before God. Are you understanding? And notice who's struggling with forgiveness. A man who Paul was thankful for. A man who refreshed the hearts of the saints with his love. But there's something about Christians who love God, love Jesus, love all the saints. But there's that one person. There's that one time this person wronged me. This one individual in my past. This one person that owes me so much. I've gone places and I understand the pain that walks around in people's hearts. Go to our academies. I could tell you the stories for hours. Young girls abused by their own father. I can tell you the stories about young men abused by their older brothers. And I'm not talking about physical abuse. I could tell you the stories about wives beaten by their husbands while they're elders in the church. Children emotionally abused. And we all have the story somewhere. And there's a person out there that is an Onesimus. And the question is, when that Onesimus shows up, can you forgive? Right now, we can stand before God, we can sing the hymns, we can rejoice in all this, but if that person is not forgiven, your forgiveness is in jeopardy. That's why it's hard. And he says, how do I need to receive them? Jesus says, I've begotten them in my bonds to reject this person is to reject Christ. Tonight is time to go back to that place that you thought you could leave in the basement of your life. Lock the cellar door. Be like, yes, now I'm about evangelism. Now, Lord, I'm about going out and sharing the gospel. I'm about going to these places and finding people in Africa. But here we are preaching the gospel to them about forgiveness. And yet we ourselves don't practice. And all of this will be the first ones in line. Lord, Lord, didn't I? And God will look at you and say, you can't forgive him. Do you know how much I've forgiven you? Do you know how much Jesus has paid? And when the song says Jesus paid it all, it means he paid it all. He suffered hell for us. And I'm not saying it's easy. Paul knew it wasn't going to be easy. That's why he wrote the letter. What in the world can Onesimus say to convince Philemon? 
intercession. And tonight Jesus is interceding between you and someone else. You will lose your standing before God. To reject them is to reject Jesus' child. It's to reject his heart. You know why? Because Jesus gave his life for that person. Jesus was forsaken. So no one on this earth could be forsaken. How dare we receive such love from God and then withhold it from our brother? This is real Christianity. The power of forgiveness is like coming from being a slave to a free man. When I was at the University of Michigan, there was this woman who was in South Africa during apartheid issues. And this woman lost her daughter to these fighters. Her daughter was home, about to take her exam, had a full scholarship anywhere she wanted to study. Bright. And the day before, she's going to take her exam and then head on. They came and knocked on the door. She thought it was her mom coming home, but it was them. Raped her and killed her. Her mom came home. And the first thing they said when they interviewed her, they said, ma'am, you know, how are you feeling? Don't you want some sense of justice? She says, I just want to go on record. On this television program right now, if those individuals are out there somewhere, just let them know I forgive them. And there she was at the University of Michigan, sharing the power of forgiveness. And then that same man, later on, repented of his acts, came back to her, didn't find a job, she hired him. Didn't have a place to live, she gave him a room in her house. Near the room where her daughter used to sleep. And as if that wasn't powerful enough, I came up to her after her presentation. And I was like, ma'am, you know, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Sometimes you're just happy to be a Seventh-day Adventist. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And I said, where did you get the strength for this? She said, Sebastian, when you understand in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive. She says, my forgiveness from Jesus is too precious to me to waste on a man who ravaged my life. She says, I know where my daughter was with the Lord. I will see her again. Where his salvation is, I don't know. And I know there's no way in his mind he would think I would forgive him. He's a Christian. Now he's a Christian. His first step was understanding through this woman the love and the forgiveness of God. Where are we tonight? Are you ready to stand? But if you're ready to stand before God, forgiven, you got to be willing to let your Onesimus stand before you, forgiven. 
our brother beloved, especially to Jesus. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Tonight, maybe there is an Onesimus of God. Someone who's robbed God of the privileges of his, the life that he gave to you. The talents that he's given to you. Maybe there's someone tonight that says, Lord, it's hard to forgive, but I need strength. I need strength to do it. Because there's no need in standing before God when I cannot forgive someone else. And if tonight you want to say, Lord, I need strength to forgive. I need strength to forgive. I just want to ask you to stand. I need strength to forgive. There's someone in mind. Someone in mind. But my second call is for that onesimus of God who's ran away. But maybe tonight you've met Jesus in his bonds. And you're saying, I'm ready to come back to the Lord with Jesus' word. Ready to be received by God. I just want to invite you to come forward. Just slip out and come up front. I'm an onesimus. I'm ready to come back to God. Come. I'm an Onesimus. I, have, I owe God. I've wronged him. And now I'm ready to come back to God. But I'm coming with Jesus' word. And when you come up front, Jesus says, the Father will receive you as Jesus himself. The Bible says you are accepted in the Beloved. I'm an Onesimus. I know I owe God. I wasted my time. I've wasted my life. I've wasted my talents for my own selfish reasons. They didn't belong to me. They belong to God. But now I'm coming back and saying, Lord, this is Jesus' word. I'm an Onesimus. And I'm ready to come back. And Jesus says, you'll receive me as yourself. Jesus says, I'm his heart. Jesus says, these are my son and my daughter. The Bible says, if God rejects you tonight, it would be as if he would reject Christ. So you can come up front and be confident. And God will accept you in the beloved. And he will accept you as he accepts Jesus. The first thing he wants to do is give you a hug. He doesn't want to talk about your old life. He doesn't want to talk about your past. He says, I'm just happy you're home. I'm just happy you're home. Come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, for your word to us this evening. We've been encouraged and challenged. It is amazing, as the hymn writers have written, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. Jesus, we are standing because we come before God asking for strength to forgive. We recognize that we have no business standing before the Father, seeking forgiveness and cleansing when we cannot forgive our brother or sister or wife or child or father, or mother, or friend, or foe.
We recognize tonight that to reject these individuals is to reject Christ. And we pray that you help us, Lord. Give us the heart of the Father to receive them as yourself. Father, we have also come up front for special prayer, asking that the Spirit of God will be poured down upon our lives because we are Onesimus, Lord. We've come up front to recognize that we've wronged God. We've wasted that which belonged to him. But we're coming back with Jesus' word. And we're saying, Lord, receive us. Not because of us, not for our sake, but for Christ's sake. Because Jesus said all of our sins and all of our foolishness, he would repay. He said, charge it to his account. He said, don't receive us as a slave, but as a brother beloved. He says that we're profitable to you now. And that we are his children. And that we are his heart. And so here we stand. Forgiven. For Christ's sake. Please, Father. And thank you for receiving us. Help us to never be the same. And give us courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.